Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. I don't know if you've ever gotten a call from a debt collector, but it's really scary. You know, they call once, twice, and it just becomes this thing hanging over you, possibly lurking behind every unknown caller. Today's book takes that fear seriously and blends it with some actual ghosts. It's Raul Palma's A Haunting in Hialeah Gardens, and he talked to NPR Scott Simon about how debts of all kinds, you know, financial, personal, have a way of creeping into every empty pocket in your life. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History, from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, is now streaming on Hulu. When Raul Palma's novel A Haunting in Hialeah Gardens opens, Hugo Contreras feels his life has shrunk. He lives in a small bare cell of a Miami apartment after his beloved wife, Millie, has died. He cringes under medical debt with only enough discretionary income to indulge in a single cafecito each week. One day he gets another call from a debt collector, Alexei Ramirez, and is about to hang up when he learns he needs his help. Hugo is a babalao. He spiritually cleanses haunted houses. And if he can banish spirits from Alexei's house, the collector will banish Hugo's debt. Raul Palma, born and raised in Miami, is now on the fiction faculty at Ithaca College, and he told us earlier this week the idea for the book came when he was in graduate school in Nebraska, overwhelmed by student debt. It was actually, it was winter. And I remember I'd just driven home from campus and the streets were slick, uh, really icy and got home cold, tired. And and I had a lot of work to do, but began to wonder, how did I get here? <laughs> right. Uh, mm. Having spent so many years in Miami. And there was a degree mm. when I began the project of uh, just fondly uh, remembering that warmth and this idea of being so far from home. There is one problem in particular Hugo has with being a Baba Lao which is he doesn't really believe in it, does he? Yeah, that's right. He He's somebody who has lost faith, has lost belief. Someone who, you know, has a rich past history, and there's certainly trauma in his past. And just based on situations that have happened in his life, he feels almost betrayed by any sense of belief or the possibility of belief. Yeah. So definitely a skeptic. He didn't believe in spirits, but he he seems to have a very touching belief that Melly's spirit is still with him, doesn't he? That's right, a hunting feeling. So it's hard during the holiday times of the year? Yeah, for Hugo in particular. Hugo and uh, Melly, his late wife, would really kind of celebrate the holidays. And, and he still, in his closet, keeps some of the decorations that they had picked up together. Yeah. at uh, various pharmacy stores. and So, yeah, it's a, it's a particularly sensitive time for Hugo. Mm. And what are, what are the personal debts that, um, I don't want to see say, say that weigh on him, because in many ways they enrich his life too, don't they? It's interesting because when I started working on this novel, just to kind of reflect on my own debts for a moment, 
I often thought of that in a really negative way. And there was a degree to which I overlooked the capacity to owe someone or the debts that we have to one another, some of the amazing things that that could bring together. So for Hugo, you know, he certainly has personal debts to loved ones, to his past, to his memories. But an interesting thing happens when he's living in Miami. His life is kind of flattened to a degree. I kind of describe it that uh, every available space for Hugo is occupied by something, and he doesn't feel how he could move from one space to another. And in many ways, it's because he feels that something else will be asked of him. Yeah. He feels a debt to his godmother, his madrina, doesn't he? Absolutely. Help us understand what he feels to his godmother, his madrina, and his brother, Victor. As a child, you know, he grows up in uh, Bolivia in a mining town, literally on the mountain of Potosi. He's raised by his madrina, a woman who uh, looks after him and works for the the mining collective. Ultimately, um, when an opportunity is afforded for him to immigrate north to the United States, he ends up leaving her and in many ways forgets some of those memories with her. So there's a sense in which part of these debts for Hugo are being excavated throughout the course of the novel. You suggest in, in the many characters you, you sketch out that debt can be a weight in our lives and our hearts, but also a kind of inspiration, a spur. You know, I have a 10-year-old daughter, and I joke sometimes that if I were keeping uh, tally on everything that she would owe me when she's an adult, right, <laughs> the list would be insurmountable. And that the, the beauty there is that in, in our relationship, we don't do that. We're not keeping a tab. You know, we, we really lean into just the, the beauty of what it is to to know that you owe somebody something profound that really can't be repaid. And for Hugo, you know, he's certainly crushed by his debts at the start of the novel. Some of those debts that really fall into this negative, I try to position them in a way where Hugo also tries to find uh, the beauty in what it is to to have a bond with someone founded on that kind of foundation of that I found myself thinking through the course of your novel that, you know, I, we think of haunting as something, well, haunting, to be avoided. But by the end of your novel, I was thinking, I don't know, maybe we should welcome it. Yeah, it's such an interesting thought. You know, a city, a city like Miami, I remember growing up in Miami, it wasn't immediately clear to me just how complex the city's own history, its politics are. Perhaps there were things hiding in plain sight that were just invisible to me. And what the haunting uh, allows for is that these things that are invisible or hidden in plain sight begin to exert pressure and they, they, they begin to ask, why don't you look at me, right? Why don't you pay attention to me? Right? There's something hidden here and there's something worth looking at a lot more closely. Earl Palmer's novel, A Haunting in Hialeah Gardens. Thank you so much for being with us. Hey, thank you for having me. When voters talk during an election season, we listen. We ask questions, we follow up, and we bring you along to hear what we learned. Get closer to the issues, the people, and your vote at the NPR Elections Hub. Visit npr.org elections. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. 
Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, historians, authors, athletes, and more about why people do the things they do. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com podcast or wherever you listen. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR.